Amen. Thank you, brother. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and we're continuing our study through Matthew. And as you make your way there, I want to tell you a story about something that happened to me this past week. I was, we were driving down the road, and the sun was kind of in our eyes. And uh, I saw this giant formation that was on the side of the road, and I kind of in my excitement, as most dads do, you know, we like to point out where there's cows and other various things on the side of the road. And I said, look at that giant rock. And we got closer and closer and closer, and turns out it wasn't a rock at all. It was just a big hill. But for whatever reason, I thought that was a rock, and I was so excited to see this giant rock. I mean, it was huge. I mean, it was the size of a hill. And when we got closer, it's not a rock, and I thought, well, that's kind of a disappointment. And it didn't really faze me, but as oftentimes happens, the Lord does something in your life, and then He teaches you a lesson through it. And as I thought about it, you know, that's true for a lot of things in life, but it's especially true when it comes to what are we trusting to save us. A lot of things in our life look like a solid rock. But on further inspection, they're really just a dirt hill that will not stand any type of rain or storm. For some of us, we trust in our own good works. We think if we could pick one category, maybe if I could stand before God and if I could pick one category where I think I excel at the most, maybe, maybe you'd want to stand before God and be judged on your murder rate. And you say, well, I don't have one. And that's why you would pick it, right? Like, I've never committed murder, so I think I'm pretty good. Or maybe, let's flip it around. Maybe there's areas you know you don't want to be judged on. Like, you don't want to stand before God and he opened up the book and say, we're going we're gonna to decide whether you come in or not based on how good of a parent you were. Ooh, right? <laughs> uh, or how patient you were. Uh, whether you told the truth all the time or not. So there's areas where we might prefer to be judged, and then there's areas where we would absolutely not want to be judged. I try to think of the silliest way, like what would be the silliest way for God to judge me to get into heaven? And I think I came up with a pretty silly one, okay? Here's this. Imagine, like if I had to be able to get into heaven, whether or not I could walk through my house without the floors popping. I'd be doomed, right? I mean, it's, it's something... That's what it's like to trust almost anything other than Christ and Christ alone for salvation. And what we want to look at this morning in this text is Jesus presses this on us. He, he finally gets to a point, as he often does throughout the Gospels, where he teaches, he teaches, he teaches. And, and every lesson is calling us to do something. But, but there's always this end where Jesus says, now you must decide. You can't just receive, receive, receive and not make a decision. Am I going to accept this and receive it or am I going to reject it? And that's one of the passages we want to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 12. If you're there, say amen. 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 All right. Verse 33, Jesus is continuing to teach. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. 
brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. And an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pray together. Lord, give us an understanding of this text that shows us the goodness of Jesus Christ. Show us the gospel, the good news of Christ dying in our place and rising again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So you probably remember the context here. Jesus, if you go all the way back to verse 22, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. The man is blind, he cannot speak, and he's demon-possessed, and Jesus heals him. And that provokes the teaching or the response of the Pharisees where they say, this guy is able to do that because he's empowered by Satan. This was a, a work of Satan that did this, and Jesus warns them and he says, there is a sin that you can commit that you are unforgiven. We talked about that last week, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But now... Jesus addresses a very, he brings us to a fork in the road and really to the Pharisees as well. We come to the point where Jesus says, now that I've taught, now that you've seen, what do you say? What are you going to do with it? And I think we see this when he says, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, verse 33, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. What is he saying there? I think he's saying, look, you have to make the assignment. Either what Jesus is doing is good, and therefore the fruit is good, or it's evil, and what he's doing is evil. You have to decide. Either Jesus is good, and therefore should be responded to as fully good, or what his work is, is evil, and you reject him. Right. So you have to cast a ballot. You cannot hear about Jesus and simply walk away undecided. To walk away without accepting and surrendering to Christ is to say no. So it's either make it good, and we look at what Jesus is doing as good, or we make it bad, and we look at it as bad. And this is why Jesus says, what he says at the end of verse 33, a tree is known by its fruit. So he's telling the Pharisees in there, you see what I'm doing, either call the fruit evil, and by that say I'm evil, or call the fruit good, and you're saying I'm good because you know a tree by its fruit. So either Jesus' deeds, his works, and his power are good, or they're evil. The flip side of that is, remember Jesus talks about their disciples, the Pharisees, and he says, if you're saying I cast out demons by Satan, then who do your disciples cast them out by? So here's the thing. It's not just to say that either Jesus is good or evil. The flip side of that is whatever you say about Jesus, the opposite is true of you. If you say Jesus' deeds are evil, then you're saying mine are good. But if you say Jesus's are good, you're saying mine are evil. We have to decide. And why must we decide? Because a tree is known by its fruit. 
Have you ever noticed that we call them by their names, right? What do we call a tree that gives apples? We don't say a tree that gives apples, do we? We call it what? An apple tree. We call it a lemon tree. We call it a grapevine or a cherry tree. We know the tree by its fruit. And so the question here really that's posed to us is what kind of tree is Jesus? And the flip side of that is what kind of tree are we? What kind of fruit does Jesus bear? Well, if we read the Gospels, what do we see? He's healing. He's preaching. He's teaching. He is loving. He is forgiving. He's doing all these wonderful and great things. And and then we think about our own life. What kind of fruit do we see? Oh, there's jealousy, there's envy, there's strife, there's lying, there's fits of rage, there's anger, there's immorality, and the list goes on and on. So what do we do with Jesus? What kind of tree is he? Well, what kind of fruit is he? But Jesus goes a step further. So he poses this question. But then he says in verse 34, look at what he calls them, brood of vipers. That's very strong language. That's language that John the Baptist uses. He calls them a brood of vipers and he dresses what they are saying. Notice the emphasis of what comes out of a viper's mouth. Venom. Right? Venom. Don't miss, don't miss this, this idea of a viper. You know, sometimes you, there are snakes that are harmless, right? You get them, you, you put it in a, uh, what are those things called? The, there's a technical term, uh, terrarium, right? That's the right word, right? Okay. You know, you get a, get a pet snake, you, you give them a funny name like Mortimer or something, and, you know, it's like, whatever. I don't get it, but people do it. But, but this is not one of those types of snakes. This is a viper. This, this can kill you. And what comes out of its mouth is venom. It's deadly. It is not life-giving. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? So he says, even if you want to say that I am evil and you are good, how can you even say that or say anything good? Because everything you say is like venom. So it's it's this case of you can say that I'm evil but you're saying that that's like a venomous snake calling you a bad person, right? And so Jesus says, how can you, and how can he say that, right? How can you, look at verse 34, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So Jesus says, the reason that you speak these things is because that's what's overflowing out of your heart. He says, they are evil. And what comes out of the overflow of their heart comes out of their mouth. And Jesus formed the human body. He knows that what goes in goes down your esophagus and into your, you know, your stomach and your gastrointestinal system. The only way for what's down here in your gut and who you are to come out really is through your mouth. It's a physical picture that what is it that we have within us? And so then we ask the question, what is the overflow? What's the abundance, right? So there's two things I want to point out here. When he's talking about the overflow and the abundance, it's almost like you can't help it, right? If you're filling a cup 
and you're continuing to fill it and it's overflowing, there's nothing that you can do to stop the overflowing. If there is a spring that is filling and bubbling up, there's nothing you can do to stop it. It happens. It comes out. And the same is true for us, right? So if we ask what kind of tree is Jesus and what kind of tree are we, perhaps another way to ask the question is what comes out of Jesus' mouth and what does this reveal? And what comes out of our mouth? What does this reveal? What, com- what comes out of Jesus' mouth and reveals the overflow of his heart versus what comes out of our mouth and what reveals the overflow of our heart? Well, what comes out of Jesus' mouth? He speaks God's word. He preaches the truth. He declares the kingdom. And that reveals a heart overflowing with the kingdom. But what comes out of our mouth? Criticism, slander, gossip, ungraceful, ungrateful speech. So what comes out of Jesus and what does that reveal about his heart? What comes out of our mouth and what does that reveal about us? He says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. He dives in a little bit. So you notice he's talked about the outside, a sign the fruit. But the fruit, what comes out of the mouth, is a sign of what's in the heart. But, but where does the heart get what it gets? Right? If the heart is always pumping out evil, either evil or good, well, what's replenishing the heart, we might say? Well, look at verse 35. Jesus says, A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. This idea of a storeroom, it's like a silo in your own soul that you have a storehouse, you have a treasury that you keep in it. And when stuff comes out of your heart and out of your mouth, it's replenished. Your heart is replenished by the storehouse. It keeps feeding. So it's like a train. It's like whatever is in the storehouse ultimately comes out of your mouth. So whatever comes out of your mouth is what comes out of the deepest part of you. Does that make sense? It comes from the deepest part of you, through your heart and out your mouth. And he says, a good person. Notice the emphasis. Jesus three times says good, and then three times he says evil. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. But an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. So Jesus says, if you assign what I do to evil... If you speak evil, that's coming out of your heart. And it's coming out of your heart because it's coming from the storeroom of your soul. That's why Jesus can say they are evil. So then we said, what kind of tree is Jesus? What kind of fruit does he bear? What kind of tree are we? What comes out of Jesus' mouth versus what comes out of our mouth? But now what's in Jesus' storehouse? And then what's in ours? Oh, our hearts... Our storehouses are full of idolatry. They're full of pride. They're full of anger. Now you might be sitting in here saying, why does this really matter? Why do I need to plumb so deeply, dig so deeply into my own heart and see what's really there? Well, it matters because of verse 36 and 37. You see... It's not the fact, it's not the case that those things are in your heart and they're never going to be addressed and they're never going to be dealt with. You can't push it down, you can't suppress it forever because there's a day coming 
Look at verse 36. He says, I tell you on that, I sorry, I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word that they speak. So what does it matter what's in our heart and what's in Jesus' heart? What's in our storeroom? What's in Jesus' storeroom? Well, it matters because one day that's all going to be exposed and there's going to be a judgment based on what's there. If words reveal the heart, then we can be judged or acquitted on those words. Look at verse 37. For by your words, you might say, that sounds a little bit harsh that, that I'm going to have to give an account for every careless word. Well, Jesus gives a reason why this is true. He says, for by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words will be condemned. So follow Jesus's logic here. If what you say reveals what's in your heart and what's in your heart comes from the storehouse of your soul, then we can judge what we need to judge and, and make decisions based on what you say. So absolutely, you can be condemned or acquitted based on your careless words. So there's coming a day when we will all stand before God, before a judgment, and we'll have to give an account of every careless word. Now, before you start obsessing about careless words. Let me explain what that means. It doesn't mean unproductive. It doesn't mean, you know, you told a joke one time. It doesn't mean unfounded words, but it means words that even though you might think they're insignificant, they actually are a little glimpse. You know, you can fool almost everybody almost all the time, but when you let that facade slip and you're careless, that's what Jesus is talking about. Those little slips that reveal who you really are. You know, you might have everyone at work fooled. You might have everyone in this church fooled. You might have everyone at home fooled. But those little careless glimmers that show, uh, those glimpses that show what really is in your heart, God says that's enough. Now just think about this. Understand this. Just one time, just one time is all it takes that one slip, that one mess up where, where that evil, that, that sin that is within you leaks out and you don't catch it in time. That's enough for you to stand before God and have to give an account. Jesus is saying that every spoken word reflects the heart's overflow. So we've talked about what kind of tree is Jesus? What kind of fruit does he bear? What's in our heart versus what's in his we talked about what's in his storeroom versus our storeroom. Now the question is, we're talking about the day of judgment. When the day comes, which do you want to trust? Do you want to trust your own storehouses? Do you want to trust your own heart to stand before a holy and righteous and perfect God who can judge you with just a sentence that reveals your heart. You see, when we come to the day of judgment, there's only going to be one question that really matters. Just one question. There's only one question that will need to be asked. That question is this. Are you righteous? You say, why does all of this matter? It matters because God is perfect and holy and just. 
God is righteous. That is the bar that is set for us to have any hope of heaven. That if we stand before God, that we're perfect. That we've never spoken an ill word. That we've never had a lustful thought. That we've never committed any kind of uh, sin whatsoever. That's the bar. So the question is, knowing that the bar is that high, that you have to be perfect, that you have to be righteous, that you have to have no sin, are you willing to stand before God and trust your own storehouses, your own heart, and your own words? Are you righteous? The reality is, is that this is a you might read verse 37 and say, for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. That's, that's a possibility that you could be acquitted. The problem is, is that every single one of us would stand condemned. None of us would be acquitted based on our own righteousness, our own merits, our own good works. That's the bad news, is that that is where we are in and of ourselves. We stand condemned. We stand having an evil, wicked heart. We've sinned. We've disobeyed God. We stand condemned. We deserve death. The Bible says that the wages of sin, the just payment, the the fair paycheck that we deserve for our sin is death. And so we have no hope to stand before God and say, let me in based on how good I've been. <laughs> Allow me in because, you know, I, I was never unfaithful to my wife. Or Let me in because I never spake my children. Let me in because I always tried to do my taxes the right way. Let me in because I attended church. Let me in because I tithed. Let me in. The one question is, are you righteous? And if our words are enough to condemn us, the first answer to that question for all of us is no. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Paul says, He made the one who did not sin to be sin for us. Why? So that in him... In Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The whole text that we've looked at this morning bears down upon us because it shows us that we could not keep the law that our hearts reveal what's in our storehouse. And what's in our storehouse is revealed by our words. We hear this law that Jesus speaks And we stand condemned. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. 
He took the death that we deserved. Paul says he became sin. So he takes the punishment for your every careless word. He takes the punishment for your rebellion. He lays down his life and dies for your sin and for my sin. Why? So that when we trust him, though we're not righteous, when we believe and rest in him, the Bible says it is credited to, credited to us, given to us as righteousness. So this whole text shows us our total inability to have any hope based on our own words and our own heart. And instead it points us to the one who is our hope, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus Christ, who so loved you, despite your carelessness, despite your sin, laid down his life so that Having died and rose again, if we rest in him and rest in what he's done, if we believe that righteousness, that is Jesus, that perfect, complete righteousness is given to you. So that when you stand on the day of judgment, there's going to be a whole host of people where the question is asked, are you righteous? And they will have to answer, no, no, I, I didn't believe in you. Or I thought you, you weren't who you said you were. But I see you now and the truth is exposed and I am not righteous. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. But then there's the believer who's asked, are you righteous? And they say, no, no, I am not. But he is. And I trust in what He has done for me. And the Father says, come, be blessed, enter in. The main idea of this text really is very simple. Our only hope in the judgment, in standing before God, is the righteousness of Christ. If you stand before God in any other way and apart from the righteousness of Christ, apart from having believed in Him, you have no hope. You will never do good enough. You will never be good enough. Our only hope in the judgment is the righteousness of Christ. So what do we do with Jesus? You have to make a decision. Either he is who he says he is and his fruit is good and you take that fruit and you appropriate it to yourself. You wrap yourself in it, in his righteousness and you trust Christ in what he did or you call what he did evil and you try and take your chances on your own. Those are your two choices. So who will you choose? Christ or yourself? What will you choose? Your own fruit or Christ's fruit? What storehouse will you trust when you stand before God? The storehouses of God's riches, His kindness, His goodness to us in Christ, or your own empty, vain, vile storehouse? The choice is yours. 
Maybe you've already made that decision in your life. You know that you've rested in Christ. You've trusted Christ. But you needed to have that reminder again today. And you need to let that well up within you. That, that grace that God has shown you in Christ. Maybe you need to hear that this week. Because you know the past week that you had. Or you're anticipating the week that's coming. And you need to know that your only hope is not your performance this week. Your hope is the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you by faith. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. And you've been playing a very dangerous game. You've been walking a tight wire. Thinking that when that day comes. That somehow you will be able to amass something good enough. To merit entrance into God's kingdom. And eternal blessedness. But this is a warning. This is an opportunity. This is a chance for you to see that you need Jesus. That you need to place your faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have some music playing uh, in the speakers, in the house speakers. And this is a chance for you to respond to what you've heard. Just thank God. And maybe you need to come to Christ for that first time asking for forgiveness. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you strike us in order that you might bind us up. God, you wound us that you might be able to heal us. Lord, strike our pride, shatter our, our dependence on our own goodness, God, and in the ways that we need to be confronted with how we're trusting somehow, some way in our own good works. God, whether it's for our assurance of salvation or whether it's for salvation itself. Lord, our only hope in that judgment, God, if we can be condemned by a, a word, a single careless word, God, help us to abandon all hope that we might be able to stand before God, stand before you, in our own strength and our own righteousness and in our own good works. Jesus, you are our only hope in the day of judgment. And we thank you that you so loved us that you gave us that hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.